This is Talk of the Town on News Talk 1290 CJBK, where interesting people talk and London listens. It is left, right, and center, as I promised earlier. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer with us. Gentlemen, nice to see you both. Good morning, Jim. Now, here's the deal. The deal. Here is the deal. Uh, Peter McKay elected the leader of the federal Tories the other day. And, and I don't want to get into a whole lot about the strategies leading up to that election and so on, because it is a little arcane and nobody really cared much then, and I don't think they care much now. But the uh, the thing that has provoked discussion and a lot of attacks on the Tories, and, and, and it's provoked the Tories to say, what are you talking about, no big deal, was that Peter McKay cut a deal with David Orchard. Now, cutting deals to win political conventions is, is an act as old as political conventions themselves. There's nothing new about this at all. But what often happens in these kinds of situations is you get two candidates who, when push comes to shove, realize that that uh, one of them anyway realizes, I'm probably not going to be able to win, but I can live with the guy who does. And if I throw my support behind him, I can probably get a promise out of him to you know, take care of me. I, I, I'm here to do something worthwhile. So if I'm not going to be the premier, I want to be the justice minister or the health minister or somebody that can, you know, ideally make a difference. Uh, or I want to go to a, a portfolio that I particularly like. And it's, we, we see that quite a lot. That the, uh, the guy who, who made the deal gets a good portfolio. Everybody's happy. In this case, it's hard to imagine any portfolio that David Orchard could hold in the Tory party. Um, David Orchard was a, a sort of rode in from the outside using some new rules, membership rules and so on, to try to hijack the party to get his own message across. And given as he played within the rules, I can't argue about that. But this is a guy whose who's avowed policies are in direct contravention of you know the basic premises of the Tory party. So McKay starting to sense that when on the third ballot now, this isn't getting any better and could get worse. What if Orchard goes over to Prentice? I could lose this whole thing, makes a deal, as many people said, a deal with the devil, to A, open a blue ribbon panel to look at free trade. Orchard's contention is that free trade needs to be modified drastically, and that's what he thought the deal was. McKay now says, no, no, the deal was just a regular review, no, no, no biggie. And another one of Orchard's demands was that there be no um, uh, truck or trade with the alliance, that the conservatives would stick to their what is it 301 resolution they call it that they're 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 bound to run candidates in every federal riding so there'd be no splitting with the alliance so what i want to ask you guys is not so much about that background stuff but the idea of making a deal like this where you take two rather disparate views and make what many people see as a very cynical deal that they think orchard maybe didn't do quite as well as he thought he would but that it was a very cynical deal that McKay had no intention of changing NAFTA, that, that, uh, that the free trade that McKay has no intention of squashing com uh, um, any kind of connections to the alliance. And the people who defend him say all he really did was get rid of these non-Tories who shouldn't have been there in the first place. What, what do you guys make of that? Jeff, I'll start with you from looking at it from the other side of the floor as a liberal. What, what did you make of all of that? Well, I think that uh, that uh, politics is about the, the art of the possible, as they say, and that uh, it, it's a little unsavory that you have to do this kind of deal-making. But on the other hand, that's the way it's done. That's the way it's always been done. And I think that inevitably you're going to have uh, two or three front-runners and that the one who's going to come out on top is going to have to have some kind of accommodation with the number two and number three, partly for the unity of the party. You can't just sort of 
have things blow apart, uh, you know, and say, well, I won, uh, you lost, so uh, you and your people are sort of outsiders now. You need to bring them back into the tent somehow, so you've got to offer them senior cabinet posts or whatever. But it, With, but, it, but it appears that he hasn't offered Orchard any of such things. All he's done is given them these two big promises that, in effect, have done exactly what you're saying he didn't want to do, and that is to... to emphasize the splits in the party. This isn't bringing anybody back to the party. The hardliners are, are major league ticked off. The Orchard people are going to be major league ticked off when they find out McKay's betrayed them. Well, but I think that, that, that there's a dynamic there that, that I don't think we really understand yet, and that is why is it that it was between 20 and 25% of the delegates supported David Orchard, even though, as you say, he's a left-winger. Because they weren't Tories. They were people who joined the party um, under the new party one-man-one-vote rules, who joined the party, signed up for $10 or $15 or whatever, in an attempt to force their agenda on the party. Well, I don't know. I don't think it's that simple. I don't think that he has no support in the Tory party, and he's been around for a while. And and having said that, it does point out a fundamental distinction between the Tories, though, and the Alliance, and that is that uh, the Tories are supposedly a soft right party as opposed to the Alliance being a hard right party. And I know that in the Liberal Party, for instance, when I joined, uh, and I'm a lefty, no question, I was told, well, the Liberal Party is a big tent with room enough for everybody. And we've got lots of people who would be very comfortable in the Alliance Party, and lots who would be very comfortable in NDP, and we try and hold ourselves all together and have our internal explosions in order to get power. Uh, and to some extent, the Tories have the same phenomenon in that historically there have been this um, uh, economic right wing but social moderate to leftish mm -hmm. uh, ideology, uh, that that's where they ran from. And uh, so there is, uh, there is, I think that there are lots of Tories out there who are socially somewhat soft left. And so this is just Orchard speaks for them. This is just business as usual then in the world of politics. Well, it is in the sense that uh, the deal making is, and uh, you know, we we know that realistically, what will happen now is that this free trade review will go nowhere. Uh, it's been endorsed by Brian Mulroney for cornflakes, so you know it's not exactly going to come back and criticize the the thing. It'll just be like a zillion other government reports that get written and then put on a shelf somewhere and forgotten about. As far as not getting together with the alliance, nobody's really coming that in that direction anyway that uh, I read that uh, Moroni had given the speech uh, uh, on the weekend saying it's time you know we got to get back with these guys but the editorials I read said that there was really no nobody listening to that so I don't know that it's going to be a big change for the Tories at this point to say we're not getting back together with the alliance now having said that a couple of years go by and all bets are off and they could be right back in it it reminds me of uh, of the liberals frankly in the last provincial election where uh, uh, Dalton McKinty was third going into the leadership campaign Gerard Kennedy was a heavily uh, favored uh, uh, leader and uh, at the last minute at whatever it was 3 4 a.m. in the morning in the uh, leadership uh, convention, uh, Joe Cordiano made a deal with Dalton McGinty that uh, Joe would throw his support with Dalton. Dalton would become the leader. Joe would become the deputy leader. Uh, I think that lasted for about six months before Joe was out. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just the, the way it goes. And, uh, you know, it's, it reminds me of the, uh, what was Bismarck's line about there are two things you don't want to know how they're made. One is sausage and the other is law. <laughs> Bob, what about you? How do you, how do you, um, you know, I don't know how to, how to answer this question. You know, for the past year and a half, you know, I'm involved with the Freedom Party of Ontario. And we just restructured the whole party in the past year. And in the process of doing that, when we created our constitution, we looked at the constitutions of all the other political parties in Canada. And without exception, they're all self-destructive. And this is what we're seeing happen in the PC party. Self-destructive in the Liberal Party too, but they're aware of it. Mm -hmm. And they're taking measures to make sure that their members are sort of already pre-screened before they become members kind of thing. 
And that's one of the problems when you just have a one-man-one-vote system. A constitutional structure has to be more than that. Democracy is for the political marketplace. It's not for the effective workings of an internal organization. You could never run a business based on democracy. You'd be out of business in a week. And that's basically the problem. You've got the wrong mix of people. Even within the conservatives, there's that left and right split, the social conservatives and the economic conservatives. Within the Canadian Alliance, there's that left and right split, the mm -hmm. social conservatives and the economic conservatives. They do not mix. That's oil and water. And when you've got oil and water mixing, nothing's going to happen. You're not going to get a result. That's why I think both of those parties are dead in the water right now until they filter out the two elements from each one that should be going, crossing the floor, so to speak. I think all the social conservatives from both parties should mm -hmm. get together and form another liberal party, and all the economic conservatives should get together and form another party. Um, but you need a party that's, that's built on principle and that only allows democracy to go so far. In our constitution, for example, we would never have a situation where two, two candidates for the leadership were so divergent in opinion that they contradict the statement of principles of the party. That's a pre-screen, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So that after we've pre-screened them and we know that, you know, the only choice now is not which direction we're going in, but how to get there best, mm -hmm. then we keep, then it's hands off. Then, then it's the role for democracy within the organization. But, uh, I just watch all these parties just imploding and imploding. Have you noticed how politics has fragmented dramatically in the last 20 or 30 mm -hmm. years? I mean, we were once basically a two-party system. The NDP came into the system and that spoiled the whole, the whole, you know, thing of apples right off the bat because you can't have uh, three parties operating under a two-party system because what you end up having is the largest minority takes takes the election you have that problem jeff alluded to the tent earlier when you start to introduce more parties you're introducing more tents and the need for a large tent diminishes then doesn't it very much so and and when you have a party that that, that runs like the pcs do or or you know where, where there is no real set of principles it's they're just running power for power's sake they want to be managers they want to take what is given and get out there and manage it and see if they can make it work which doesn't work we're always in worse debt <laughs> we're going to pause election. we're going to pause for a moment or two here if you'd like to join our discussion this morning but please feel free to do so bob metz and jeff schlemmer with us on left right and center we're talking about deal making at the political uh, federal political level that uh, has made peter mckay the leader of the um, Progressive Conservative Party of Canada, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the long, longer-term implications for that party, and indeed for the Liberals, too. If you'd like to join us, 643-1290. Talking about political deals and the deal that made Peter McKay the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party, many observers are suggesting that it may also have signaled the demise of the Progressive Conservative Party, that it's going to crystallize the fault lines in that party and blow it apart. Other people, including Mr. McKay, says nonsense. The only blowing going on here is that people are blowing this out of proportion, that it's not that serious at all. Bob and Jeff have had their say. If you'd like to join us, you're always welcome. And Ken's up next. Hi, Ken. Hi there, Jim. Yeah. Yes, it's, uh, I, was, I watched the, uh, the convention over the weekend, and that was incredible, that last uh, chapter of it. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I myself was uh, sort of looking for an alternative, you know, to come out of the woods but uh, no that just turned me right off completely i just don't like that so you weren't you weren't happy with the outcome then at all well uh the fact that mckay uh took uh orchard's uh support there and uh they have vastly different views and uh mulroney had come out and uh talked about the virtues of free trade which i believe in and then uh 
Uh, we don't know exactly what McKay said, but he he did, he said enough. He promised enough to have Orchard's votes come over, who yeah. is uh, strictly against free trade. Now, and McKay says, "Well, we'll talk about free trade. We'll talk about free trade. Well, what is there to talk about if it's real good? Uh, any more than to enhance it." But Orchard doesn't want to enhance it. He wants to, to destroy it. But he's not going to get that. McKay's already saying that nothing of the sort is going to happen. So I know, but it was McKay. It's McKay I'm zeroing in on. Yeah. Uh, because uh, if if he's going to run for the leader of the country, he's not going to get my vote. All right. Thanks for the call today, Cap. Uh, 643-1290, star-1290 in the Rogers AT&T cellular network. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer with us today. Now, I, I mentioned that many of the political commentators have looked at this and said that this was a, a terrible, terrible mistake on the part of Peter McKay. That he's opened himself up to all kinds of criticism in the House, and indeed he's getting lots of criticism on pacts with the devil and selling your soul to get elected and blah, 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 blah. It's Ernie Eves all over again. It's Is it? The same, think? It's the same phenomenon. Just change the names of the players. Yeah, but Ernie didn't... Ernie didn't cut any deals with the devil. Ernie was sort of called back out of retirement, acclaimed well, almost. In, in the sense, yeah, but he created a split within his party that is the same kind of split that's being created here. Mm -hmm. it, it, whether it was caused by making a deal or just caused by the way the party is structured and the members of the party and the differences in the opinions between them. Ken just called. He said he supports free trade. Anyone who can even claim to be a capitalist or a conservative would have to support free trade. They should never be against it. Ironically, during the Mulroney years, when uh, uh, when he was advancing free trade with the states, the major complaint of the federal liberal, liberal party was not opposed to free trade with the states. They wanted free trade with more more countries, mm -hmm. which was even more of a quote conservative point of view. So, in that sense, that's I think one of the big underlying economic reasons that the liberals are in power because free trade means prosperity. Let's go back to phones where Tony's waiting. Hi, Tony. Morning, Jim. How are you today? Good, thank you. I wish you was the last caller. I wish you would have asked him uh, if he doesn't vote for the uh, PCs, who he's going to vote for, because uh, I uh, joined the uh, Reform Party after that, uh, when the uh, Conservatives uh, decided to back the uh, the um, uh, Separatists uh, at that time and uh, gained the majority, and I, that sort of really turned me off of the PC party, and I'm wondering whether this is going to be the death knell of the PC party because of those two things. Well, somebody thinks, you know, some, many people have said that, that it's it's not going to help the many because it doesn't build any bridges. They need to build bridges, and this doesn't apparently do that. Yeah, it, uh, it seems to me that uh, they don't have a uh, sort of a, a heading that they're taking. It's just sort of, you know whichever way the wind happens to be blowing. And uh, you know what other uh, political party in Canada does that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I can make an educated guess. Tony, thanks We've for the call. Up. Okay, bye -bye. No. Yeah, the Liberals are locked up, <laughs> says Jeff. <laughs> so if it's, if it's true that he has damaged his credibility here, how long do you think it will take him to rebuild? Let's pause it for the moment that he has damaged it by, by cutting a deal with somebody who's far away from his core constituency. Given the, the, the ability of voters in this country to absorb political promises and then and, and, you know, broken promises and kind of slough them off after a while, do you think he's in any, any kind of long-term well, Trouble? He's, he's only 37 years old, so uh, this is a, a rebuilding year for the Tories at the very least, uh, that they're taking the long view with him as leader. Um, and I recall once uh, a wise old reporter told me, you know, that people don't vote in parties, they vote out parties. 
And so uh, give two or three years time go by, which is sort of the bare minimum when you could hope to make an impact anyway, I, I would suggest uh, this will be ancient, ancient history. And I, and I would imagine this is probably the high watermark of David Orchard's influence. You know, from this point on, he'll be marginalized within the party. Um, having said that, people need to pay some attention to something that's going on there. But uh, in, the, in the longer run, I don't think this will hurt Peter at all. All right. Uh, Martin's up next. Hi, Martin. Hello. How's Jim? Good, thanks. Good. Uh yeah, I got to thank both yourself and Bob this morning. How's that? Because you both straightened something out in my head. Yeah, I've how's got, that? Uh, the last two conservative uh, leadership campaigns with interest, and was baffled in both cases where a so-called, or in my opinion, a, a more left-leaning candidate was battling with a more right-leaning. When you compare Ernie Eves to uh, Jim Flaherty, yes, or in this case. Um, um, Oh, who was the who was the fellow that bowed right out right at the beginning in the PC? Uh, I'm so, I'm sorry, the fellow who which the fellow who bowed out right at the beginning of the, oh yeah, how quickly we forget, eh? Yeah. Craig uh, I mean, Chandler. Yeah, is that who you're talking about? If you look at Craig Chandler, I mean that fellow was definitely a right wing mm -hmm. leader. Yes, and and in both cases, the the left leaning, um, the left leaning fellow ended up winning, and and Jim's Jim's commentary on the stacked party makes sense. And and Bob talking about actually having no party platform, and I'm proud to say I'm a member of Bob's party, and, and I think we're on the right track. Martin, thank you for your call. Thanks, Jim. Good to hear from you. Thanks, Martin. You know, there's another element to this that I thought was interesting, that from my, my observation was that there was only one candidate, of, and I maybe this is overstating a little bit, there was only one candidate of principle there. There was only one candidate who had clearly thought out, clearly articulated positions on virtually everything, and that was a Bryson. And I was very impressed with Bryson. I mean, he, he you asked him a question and he gave you an answer. And uh, and he seemed to have thought through all of the major issues of the day. Interesting to me that of the five of them, and then quickly the four, he was the only one who really did that. The rest of them were all politicking. They were all looking to be politicians. And I took that as a not a particularly good sign for our country, that here's a guy, you know, articulate, intelligent, uh, well thought out positions, uh, not radical positions by any means, but you know, many cases seem to be practical solutions to many of our problems, and didn't even make the cut. You, well, you got to get elected, though. I think that uh, the, the Tories were really burned by Joe Clark not having a seat when he became a leader, mm -hmm. and I think that they really took heart from that and thought we've got to have somebody who's in there. And Bryson, I think, did make a good showing. Like the thing is that it's not all or nothing. You you won or you lost. This is you get in there, you get some publicity, you make a name for yourself, get yourself elected. I think he could have a very bright future. And uh, nothing's happening with the Tories, you know, in the next year anyway. Um, so no, I think that, uh, that that yeah, he did show well, uh, and McKay didn't show as strongly as as uh, they thought he was going to at the outset. And when I'm thinking about ideology and stuff, I'm thinking, I, I have no idea where he stands on most of this stuff. I don't know. But is he a right-winger? Is he a left-winger? Nobody right? knows. I think that's yeah. the problem. The other it, thing that struck me as strange about this was was his two speeches, the one on, I think, Friday night and Saturday night, when you would expect uh, a, 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 a pretender to the mantle of, of John Diefenbaker, for example, to get up there and rally the troops. You breathe know? fire. If you can't yeah. breathe fire at the... Na you want to be a national political leader and you can't breathe fire at your own convention? Jim, you ask what would what would bring credibility back to Peter McKay and all that. One thing only, making his party a factor. doesn't matter what went before. And I don't think that the... I think the day is gone when you can use a liberal strategy of saying nothing. You have to say something mm -hmm. to stir the public up, to stir your own members up, to, to have a message there. And everybody's trying to be so bland and so uncommittal and so middle of the road so that nobody knows anything about them 
Because one thing we learned in politics was that the more people know about you, the more reasons they have to vote against you, mm -hmm. not for you. It doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. Mm -hmm. So if someone li likes uh, our policy on issue X, if they find out our policy on issue you know, Y or Z, they might not like that and not vote for us because mm -hmm. of it. And, and ironically, vote for a party with which they disagree with more more yeah. numbers of policies but may support on the one that counts to them. And yeah. you, you find that with so many people that they don't look at the total picture. They're, for any given individual, I couldn't say there's a perfect political party. Is it a perfect time for a Diefenbaker, though, where you've had liberals who have been in for a long time, you've had some scandal, like it's like Saint Laurent all over again from the 50s, you know, that it's time for a populist from the prairies to come out and say, we speak for the little guy, enough of this patronage, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. These guys have been in forever. Like... I would think it's a great time for history to repeat. There would be a lot of traction in being a populist and saying these guys have been in too long. We got to yeah. get them out. Well, mm -hmm. that's what the Canadian Alliance is, and I think I think the Canadian Alliance is going to follow the same road as the PCs are now because of their constitutional structure and their supposed belief in grassroots activity. But they and, have another. Uh, but they have the same problem as the Tories, though. Mm -hmm. Stephen Harper, for all his good qualities, is not an inspiring orator, and I think today, particularly today, in a, in a world of multimedia communication. Right. Boy, you want to you lead know, somebody somewhere, you better get up there and tell them. They threw out their doing. best orator, and that was Manning. Yes. Uh, Manning. Yeah. If, if you had not seen Manning speak, I saw him speak live many times. Yes. This guy could move yes, a he crowd, could. He was an and every crowd order. you went to got bigger than the last yeah. one until yeah. you couldn't get in anymore. Yeah. Well, they uh, they uh, miss him for sure. Having said that, you can also learn a lot of that stuff. As you say, the way that you've got spin doctors and all mm -hmm. that. Can, like, I look at George Bush now, and he's he seems quite effective when he speaks. Now, but, to some extent, it's a war. If you don't look sincere and you don't yeah. you don't look like you're carrying the meaning of Americans your message love the guy i think uh well you can get a certain amount of success but i don't think you can build that party that needs to be built for canadians never mind for success for politicians but what's the old joke once you learn to fake sincerity yeah. everything else is yeah. easy <laughs> <laughs> exactly. gentlemen thank you for joining us today i am sincere in saying that it's always a pleasure to have bob and jeff join us Thanks, on left jeff. right and center look forward to having them back again next week if there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss or comments you'd like to make, feel free to contact us. Our email here is chapman at cjbk.com. Always happy to hear from you. If there's a topic you'd like the three of us to put on the table, we'd be glad to do that for you.